You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You know those words, Dorothy and her companions walking on the yellow brick road through a scary forest, worried what's out there. The book of Daniel is an interesting book because the first six chapters are narrative. It explains Daniel's courage in standing for the one true God even as he was taken to Babylon in exile and captivity. He stayed faithful to his God in very intimidating situations. But in chapter 7, things change. The entire genre of the book changes. It goes from narrative to apocalyptic. And the Lord speaks through visions to give some information about what was to come. And he gives these visions to Daniel. So the first six chapters, we've got Daniel in the lion's den, and we've got the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We understand those passages well. But now, we've begun to study lions and bears and leopards and beasts. And this morning... Rams and goats, oh my. And it's a little bit scary as we look at this imagery that's used to communicate some spiritual realities. But chapter 8, which we'll study together this morning, is a very important chapter that, if we'll let it, will encourage us and challenge us to confident faithful living. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you came in a little late, just a reminder, uh, we have limited lighting today because lightning hit our building It's what happens when you have a really tall sanctuary in Florida. (laughs) But lightning hit our building, and so we're limited on light. And you say, well, I can't see you as good. Well, that's not a big deal, trust me. All right? I have a face made for radio. All right? The main thing I need you to pray about is that I can see my my words in this uh, limited lighting. All right. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had Two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast would stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he planned or pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth, 
without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between the eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had been standing on the bank of the canal, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars that threw down to the ground and trampled on them, it became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of the sanctuary was overthrown. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment to acknowledge your greatness, to acknowledge your glory, Lord, to ascribe to you the worth that is due your name. We stand in awe of you. Lord, a thousand hallelujahs. Don't even begin to scratch the surface of your worth. So we give you praise. And Lord, we pause in this moment to acknowledge our need for for you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to move in our midst. Touch our hearts. Transform our lives by the power of your word applied to surrendered hearts. May Jesus be exalted. May your people be encouraged. May your great name be glorified. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I said earlier, the genre shifts right in the middle of this book. And starting in chapter 7 through the remainder of the book, chapter 12, we see apocalyptic literature where God, again, is communicating through signs, through visions, some important realities. This is the second vision that was given to Daniel. We studied the first last time we were together when we studied Daniel chapter 7. Now, Daniel chapter 7 was sort of a 30,000-foot view of human history because it was a description of of events that, that started in Daniel's time, and it described the events that would take place at the very end of human history. So it's a big picture. It was a big picture view of history and the end times. Chapter 8 is different than chapter 7. Because this vision is not a 30,000-foot view of all of human history, going back to the time of Daniel. This, This vision takes a piece of history and puts it under a microscope. That was understand something particular that was going to happen after Daniel's time. Now, just a kind of a 
brief outline of this chapter in verses 3 through 14, we see that the vision is described. Daniel describes what he's seeing. And again, it's pretty terrifying, right? There, there's rams and goats and horns, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit scary, but that's the vision described. And then in verses 15 and 17, or 15 through 17, Daniel is seeking understanding. He talks to an angel, Gabriel, and the Lord says to Gabriel, I want you to explain this vision or interpret this vision for Daniel. And the interpretation is found in verses 18 through 26. Let me just give you, just very quickly, the interpretation of this vision about the, the rams and the goats. Verse, uh, the goat. Verse 20 tells us the ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Empire. If you remember last time we were together, we said that Babylon was king of the hill. And God raised up the Medes and the Persians who united to overthrow Babylon. That's why this ram had two horns. One to represent the Medes, another to represent the Persians. Then in verse 21, we see the goat is described. This is the the nation that overthrows the Medes and the Persians. Now we know this nation to be Greece. You can just look back at human history. It's very clear that... The Medo-Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Then the Greeks overthrew the Medo-Persians under the leadership of the great young general Alexander the Great. In fact, if you notice in Daniel's description of the goat, the goat doesn't touch the ground, which speaks of him moving rapidly. And this speaks of the rapid expanse of Alexander the Great's empire. He had conquered most of the known world at that time and died at age 32, but the goat represents Greece. Then verse 22 talks about the meaning of the broken horn. There's a, a horn on this goat, and the horn breaks. This speaks of the death of Alexander, the great general and leader, and the subsequent division of his empire into four parts. Uh, Alexander the Great's rule and reign was too massive for any one person to oversee. So the kingdom divides up into four different areas. And in verses 23 and 24, we learn that one of these four kings, one of the kings over one of these areas, would arise with great power. Now we know, again, by looking at human history and and, uh, later uh, verses in Daniel, that this leader was Antiochus Epiphanes, say that five times fast, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the the leader of the Syrian portion of Alexander the Great's empire, sometimes called the Seleucid Empire, basically stretching from Asia Minor all the way over to Persia. And we know that this is speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes because it says in verse 9 that his influence, his power, stretched toward the glorious land. That speaks of the promised land. This is the king who, who oppressed Palestine, where the Jews lived. This speaks of Antiochus Epiphanes. And the Lord wanted Daniel to know that a few hundred years after his time, this great king would rise up from the Greek empire and would would wield great authority over the Jewish people. Now I want you to notice several things about Antiochus Epiphanes. First of all, notice his power. Look what it says there in verse 24. Verse 24. The Bible says, His power shall be, what's it say there? 
great. His power shall be great. We know that Antiochus Epiphanes entered into wars with Egypt and with other nations. He conquered many different peoples. And we know also that he conquered and oppressed Palestine where the Jews lived. But notice what it says in verse 24. It says there, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. I believe that refers to the satanic power that was driving the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. I believe that Antiochus Epiphanes was influenced by Satan himself. And if you look back through human history and you see different evil rulers rise up, I believe their, their empires, their rule, their reign was was Satan-inspired and Satan-influenced. It was true of Antiochus Epiphanes, but he would be powerful. Dr. Miller says, for a while, this figure, Antiochus Epiphanes, would seem invincible, like no one could defeat him. Notice his power. But then notice his cunning. Look what it says there in verse 25. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. His cunning, he will use great cunning to to bring about uh, deceitful advancements. He would prosper through deceit. This means he was shrewd and would use uh, deceit to accomplish his nefarious goals, his cunning. But then notice his pride, his pride. Back up to verse 9 of chapter 8 when it describes the horn. It says... Out of one of them, one of the the four horns, the broken empire of Alexander the Great, came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. I believe this speaks of the spiritual warfare surrounding the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. It became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts. I believe that's a reference to the Lord, and it's it's the way of saying that in his own mind, we know he's not greater than God, but in his own mind he thought he was God. We'll see how God deals with Antiochus Epiphanes a little bit uh, later. But we see here his great pride in rebelling against God. And look what it says in verse 25. Verse 25 says, In his own mind he shall become great. That's actually not a really good translation of the Hebrew. In the original Hebrew it reads, He will magnify himself in his heart. He will magnify himself in his heart. Antiochus Epiphanes would be so proud and arrogant that he would make much of himself in his heart. In fact, there are coins that have been found by archaeologists from the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. And on those coins were inscribed these words, Theos Epiphanes, meaning God manifest. He believed he was a manifestation of deity. He was full of pride. In fact, he was so arrogant against the God of the Jews that in 169 BC, he entered the city of Jerusalem He banned circumcision, prohibited uh, prohibited observance of the Sabbath and the Jewish dietary laws. He ended sacrifices at the temple. And then in 168 B.C., he took a pig considered unclean according to Jewish dietary laws. He took a pig and sacrificed the pig on the altar at the temple. And then he built an altar to the god Zeus 
and placed it in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be. That's how proud he was and arrogant against the God of the Jews. In Daniel eleven thirty one, they call this event the abomination that makes desolate. We'll talk more about the abomination of desolation in, in coming weeks. But we learn that he arrogantly blasphemed the one true God. Now, here's the question I want to answer. Because again, we're not looking at the, the big picture 30,000 foot view of history. We're taking the reign of Antiochus and putting it under a microscope. And the question becomes, why? Why does God give this vision to Daniel? Why the focus on Antiochus Epiphanes? Why the focus on this ancient king? Well, there are three reasons that really impact our lives that I want to give you. First of all, because his rule involved the Jews. The reason that this king is highlighted is because his oppression, his rule, his reign affected God's people. And as we know from the word of God, God loves his people. The Jews are his chosen nation. So he gives the attention to that happening to his people. As I quoted earlier, verses 9 and 10 speak of the authority of Antiochus Epiphanes stretching to the, the beautiful or the glorious land. Speaking of the promised land of the Jews. Now here's something interesting you don't see in your English Bibles. In the original text of Daniel, chapters 2 through 7 are in Aramaic. Aramaic was a trade language in that day that different nations could understand. And chapters 2 through 7 deal with, with, with peoples all over the world, starting at Babylon. So it's in Aramaic. But in chapter 8, something interesting happens. From chapter 8 to the very end of the book, the original text of Daniel is in Hebrew because the focus is on the Jews. And you see that when you look at the original writing of Daniel. Here's the deal. God's people needed to be warned of a great crisis that would come in less than 400 years after Daniel's lifetime. You can read Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read Esther and see that, that eventually the Jews were allowed to, to leave captivity and go back to Jerusalem. They would go back and rebuild the walls around the city. They would go back and rebuild the temple and establish worship of the one true God there in Jerusalem. So God was going to deliver them. But the Jews needed to know that there were hard times coming down the road. It would be one of the most horrible periods in history for the Jews, and they've been through a lot of horrible periods. And so the reason that Antiochus Epiphanes is put under the microscope is because his rule, his reign, affected the Jews. And God cares about his people. Secondly, why this focus on an ancient king? Because he foreshadows the Antichrist. He foreshadows the Antichrist. Look with me back in verse 11. Verse 11. It says, It became great, this horn, Antiochus Epiphanes, even as great as the Prince of Hosts. The regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of a transgression. It will throw truth to the ground. It will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, 
for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? How long will Antiochus Epiphanes command the Jews to stop worshiping at the temple? How long will this be allowed to take place? And it says, this is the transgression that makes desolate, his blasphemy against the one true God, the giving over the sanctuary, the host to be trampled under the foot, his oppression of the Jews. He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, over six years, this would be the case, that the Jews would suffer and languish under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. But notice here the sheer arrogance and blasphemy of Antiochus against the one true God. Does that remind you of anyone? It ought to remind you of chapter 7, where we studied the arrogance and the blasphemy of the Antichrist figure who will arise at the end of all things. I believe that Antiochus Epiphanes is a picture of the Antichrist. He, he foreshadows the Antichrist. He's a, he's a pattern of what the Antichrist would be like. Now, we know that the Old Testament has pictures of Jesus, doesn't it? The Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus who would die for our sins so the wrath of God might pass over us if we are under the blood. The serpent on the pole is a picture of Jesus that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness that the people could be healed from the serpent's bite. Jesus was lifted up on the cross so that when we look to him and believe we can be saved from sin's death sting. There are pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. But I believe there's also some, some types here of the Antichrist. And that's the, the, the point with Antiochus Epiphanes. In, uh, in fact, according to Stephen Miller, Old Testament scholar, he writes there are at least nine parallels between these two individuals. Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist. Let me give them to you just real, real quickly. Don't try to write these down. Just listen to it later because I'm going to go fast. First of all, Antiochus and the Antichrist are symbolized by horns that were little or small at the beginning. Secondly, Antiochus was a bold-faced king, and Antichrist will have an imposing look, Daniel 7.20. Number three, Antiochus was a master of intrigue, and the brilliance of the Antichrist is suggested by the eyes of the horn. The, 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 the cunning of the Antichrist would offer solutions to the world which would give him great authority at the end of times. Antiochus had great satanic power. We've already looked at that. And the Antichrist will have even greater satanic power. Number five, Antiochus destroyed thousands. Antichrist will destroy many more. Number six, Antiochus prospered for a short while. Antichrist will prosper for a brief time. Number seven, Antiochus persecuted the saints. Antichrist also will oppress believers. Number eight, Antiochus was a deceiver. Antichrist will be the master deceiver. And number nine, Antiochus was proud. Antichrist will be one of the most arrogant individuals that the world has ever known. And so there are some direct parallels between Antiochus and the Antichrist. I believe he's a foreshadowing of how awful Antichrist will be and how full of terror his reign will be. But there's a third reason. This is where I want to kind of camp out for a moment. A third reason that the Lord gives Daniel this vision of Antiochus Epiphanes. We put Antiochus under the microscope. And it's because of this. God's people need to be prepared to face evil. God's people need to be prepared to face evil. Now, fast forward with me to chapter 8. Look in verse 27. Verse 27. 
After the vision, it says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, before we look at Daniel and say, Daniel, what's your deal, man? I mean, you saw this vision and it terrified you and you were perplexed by it. I mean, you should have have been able to figure all that out, right? Why did it trouble you to such a great degree? Well, let's just imagine for a moment that you were alive in 1910. And the Lord appeared to you in a vision and gave you an overview of the 20th century. You saw World War I and its terrible warfare. You you were able to see the Holocaust of the Jews. You're able to see the, the thousands and thousands of lives lost in World War II. You're able to see Korean conflict and the Vietnamese conflict and and, and, and the different wars that would take place over the 20th century. I, I would submit that if you saw all of that in 1910, you would be appalled. You, you would, your face would lose its color. You would be perplexed. You might see it, but you wouldn't understand it all. And you wouldn't know how to process that kind of information. Something similar is happening here in this text. Here's what we learn, and we learn it through Daniel. Knowing the future doesn't make facing the future easy. Let me say it again. Knowing the future doesn't make facing the future easy. God gives us a lot of information about the future. Spoiler alert, Jesus Christ is coming back to set everything right. Amen? If you know Jesus, you're on the winning team. When the dust settles, Jesus wins. That's good news, right? We know that's coming. But it doesn't doesn't make the here and now easy, does it? We live in a fallen world. There's evil everywhere. And it's perplexing. And it's hard to process and hard to deal with. It's it's appalling. We know where human history is headed, Daniel chapter 7. But I tell you, 2023 is pretty tough. Especially if you're trying to live for Jesus. And that's the point. God gave this vision to Daniel because he wanted the Jews, his people, to be prepared for the hardship that was coming. So I believe there are some some realities here that we can extrapolate to learn how you and I as Christians face evil. How, how How do we live for Jesus and process all of the the dark things happening around us. How do, we, how do we live faithfully for Jesus in a world that is opposed to Jesus? Well, I believe we can learn from this vision in chapter 8. Let me give you just three answers to that question, then we'll be through. Number one, we must come to terms with the reality of evil. We must come to terms with the reality of evil. Now look what it says in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 8. After this vision is given to Daniel, it says the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. 
but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Now, when the Lord says to Daniel, seal up the vision, he's not saying keep it secret. He's not saying, you know, hide this vision from everyone. He's saying make sure it's preserved, sort of like a time capsule. Make sure it's preserved so when this time comes, my people can read about it and know that I knew it was coming. And they can process it and have the strength to endure this terrible time. Seal it up. Make sure it's ready for the Jews to read and to stand on when they're going through these difficult times. God knew that his people would need, listen, supernatural revelation to encourage them and comfort them and sustain them and spur them on to faithfulness through the coming horror. In fact, Dale Ralph Davis says this about this verse. He says, is it not kindness of the Lord to prepare his people for the extreme trouble they will have to endure? Everybody look at me for a moment if you can see me. If you don't understand that one of the major purposes of the Bible and one of the major themes throughout the Bible is we will live through troubled times. If you don't get that, you won't understand the Bible. Most of the Bible is written to address people who were struggling. And the purpose was to encourage them, to give them perspective, and to spur them on to faithfulness. That's why we have verses like 1 Peter chapter 4 that says, Do not be surprised when fiery trials come. We live in a fallen world. There is evil everywhere, and the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well until the figure of the Antichrist arises. There's Antichrist sentiment everywhere. So when you seek to be faithful to Christ in this fallen world, it, it's going to be hard. You will not find in the Bible that being a Christian makes your life easy or comfortable. That's just not in the Bible. The major themes of Scripture are this. This world is not our home. Amen? We are pilgrims, sojourners, passing through. But while we're passing through, we want to pass through with courage and confidence and faithfulness to make a difference for the glory of King Jesus. And God gives us his word to sustain us through difficult times. In fact, Jesus himself said this. In this world, you will have trouble. That comes from the lips of our Savior. In this world, you will have trouble. And some of you say, Pastor Wade, I'm, I'm in it right now. I, I feel you. <laughs> I'm experiencing that trouble right now. Some of you might say, well, th things are going good in my life. Well, just give it some time. In this world, you will have trouble. 
That's why God gives us his word. Like he gave the vision to Daniel and the Jews, he gives us his word to sustain us through the difficulty. Secondly, how do we as Christians face evil? We anticipate God's ultimate victory. As I said earlier, we win if we're on Jesus' side because Jesus wins. Look back in chapter 8, verse 25. This is so encouraging. Speak of Antiochus, who foreshadows the Antichrist. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. In his own mind, he shall become great and magnify himself in his own heart. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. It speaks of the Lord. Prince of princes, king of kings. He'll rise up against the prince of princes. Look what it says next. And he shall be broken. But keep reading. Look what it says. But not by human hand. In other words, God himself is going to deal with Antiochus Epiphanes. That's what this verse means. And this anticipates the ultimate victory of our Lord. Now we have some historical information about Antiochus Epiphanes. We have a, a, there's a book, a historical book called First Maccabees. And in 1 Maccabees, we learn that Antiochus died of grief and remorse in Persia after being defeated in the siege of the city of Elmaus. His, his, his army is defeated. And he goes back to his, to his home. And he's so despondent, overcome by grief. He saw his power coming to an end that History records he died of grief and remorse. God took care of Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, his his forces were routed eventually by the Jews in Palestine. The victory of the Jews over Antiochus' forces is what the celebration of Hanukkah is all about, the Festival of Lights. It's about the Jews overthrowing the army of Antiochus Epiphanes. They celebrate that around our Christmas time. It it celebrated this great victory. And so the Lord himself took care of Antiochus Epiphanes. And just like the Lord overthrew his enemy and the enemy of his people, he will one day overthrow the Antichrist and even Satan himself. The Bible says the Antichrist and Satan will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. When Jesus comes back. But not only that. Not only do we see God winning the victory over evil kings. And end times figures. And Satan himself. The Bible is one big story. Of how God sent his son. To defeat our two greatest enemies. Sin and death. 
Jesus died on the cross taking the punishment that we deserve, taking the wrath of God in our place. He is the the God-man, went to the cross, and died as our substitutionary atonement. He died for our sins. He he took the punishment you and I deserve. And after he died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose from the grave, defeating death itself, so that if anyone places their faith and trust in Christ— Their sins are washed away and they are given eternal life. God is a God who defeats our enemies. Amen? He did it through his son, Jesus. And this overthrow of Antiochus is just a foreshadowing of how Jesus would overthrow sin and death. Our God is a victorious God. Now let me say this. I want you to come in close and hear me. Because there are many of us in this room right now and and, and we're hurting. We're hurting because of life, because of things that are happening, maybe the death of a loved one. We're hurting. Life is difficult. In this world, you will have trouble. Here's what you need to know today. And maybe God brought you to church to hear what I'm about to say. Evil, sin, and death will not win the day. When it's all said and done, King Jesus wins. And that is good news. Anticipate God's ultimate victory. But there's a third thing I want you to see, and we'll be through. How do we, as Christians, face evil? We come to terms with the reality of evil. We anticipate God's ultimate victory, third and last. In the meantime... We live faithfully. In the meantime, we live faithfully. Look what it says in verse 27. This is, this is so helpful. And the more I study Daniel, the more I just admire him. Look what it says in verse 27. I, Daniel, he receives the vision. It's scary. Rams, goats, horns. I was overcome and lay sick for some days. Look at the next sentence, though. Then I rose... And went about the king's business. He had a role in the king's cabinet. So what does he do? He gets up and goes to his job. He was appalled, it says. He didn't understand it. He's perplexed. Evil everywhere. Life is hard. But Daniel gets up and fulfills his responsibility. I like what Sinclair Ferguson says about Daniel. The seriousness of the conflict in which God's people are to be involved in overwhelmed and appalled Daniel. Listen, but it did not paralyze him. Even in an ungodly environment, he fulfilled his daily responsibilities. So you say, Pastor Wade, life is hard. In this world, you will have trouble. There's evil everywhere. I don't understand it all. It's perplexing. So what should I do? Get up and go to work tomorrow. Be a good neighbor. Walk with Jesus. Be a good citizen, the nation in which you live. Fulfill the responsibilities God's given you. Be faithful in your marriage. Be a spiritual leader for your kids. Do what God's called you to do. Be faithful. 
We don't have to have everything figured out to be faithful. And that's the point here. He received the vision. He's appalled. He's perplexed. He's terrified. And he gets up and goes to work. That's what the Christian life ought to look like. Just be faithful. And God will use your faithfulness to imprint Jesus on this fallen world. To point people to him through your life that has been touched by the master's hand. In the meantime, live faithfully. Or let me say it like Paul said it in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. In that verse, Paul says, listen, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a good word, isn't it? This is a tough place to live, this fallen world, isn't it? There's evil everywhere. It's hard to be faithful to Christ. But don't be overcome by evil. You're on the winning team if you know Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit... The guidance of the word of God. The encouragement of the church of God. For the glory of Christ. Overcome evil with good. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.